أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد طبر قلوب ودوائها وعافية ربداني وشفائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وقتر أرواح وغذائها وعلى أهله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا الحمد لله نويت التعلم والتعليم والتذكر والتذكير والنفع والانتفاع والإفادة والاستفادة والحث على تمسك بكتاب الله وسنة رسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم ودعاء للهدى والدلالة على الخير ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وقربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى الحمد لله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته First of all, uh, I apologize for some of the people that have been following this Uh, podcast closely that I haven't been able to uh, be as consistent as I would like to, but inshallah I'm going to try to uh, do that uh, in the coming uh, months. I've just, there's been a lot of uh, activities going on. I had the Western Association of Schools and Colleges come to the college, and so we were preoccupied with those things, among other um, commitments and, and, and duties. But I know that there a lot of people have Uh, really asked me to try to keep these going because they've uh, benefited from them. So I hope they continue to be beneficial and may Allah reward all of you. Generally, I have a uh, just a practice of really not talking about other scholars or du'at or uh, people that are involved in Muslim work generally because I think, first of all, there's enough dissension in our community. Uh, we don't really need to add to that bonfire. Uh, by adding more uh, straw to it. Uh, and secondly, just as somebody who I know I have my own faults, the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever meant to tabba'aurat akhi al-Muslim, tatabba'allahu You know, whoever like goes after the, the faults of a, a Muslim, Allah will expose his faults, even if he's in his house in seclusion. So it's it's really just a, a good practice, if you want to be veiled, to veil others. And the Prophet ﷺ was somebody who generally said, ma balu aqwam, what's up with people, what's wrong with people who do this or that. He didn't specify people in his practice. And so I, I've tried to do that uh, as much as um, I've been able to. And, uh, and uh, a lot of other people, unfortunately, a lot of our community um, seems to be obsessed with pointing out the faults of others. and. I don't know. It seems to be a just a bad preoccupation. Um, and but, however, and and I think this is where it gets murky, is that there is a principle in fiqh that uh, there's no backbiting in a fasiq. But then, who determines who the fasiq is? Uh, because one group thinks everybody who's not in their group is fusaq. They're people that are doing bad and things like that. So they consider them to be Fusaq, and so we can say whatever we want about them. But even Abu Hamad al-Ghazali says it's not a good practice to speak ill of anybody because you don't want to habituate your tongue to speaking ill. And there's a wonderful tradition of Isa ibn Maryam of Jesus that we have in our tradition that he passed by a carcass and uh, that was beginning to rot. And his companion said to him, the Hawariyun, his disciples, They said, Ma'antana, you know, how, how foul the smell is. And Isa, he looked at it and he said, asnana, But how white its teeth are. So in the commentaries, they say he looked at 
the beauty of even the ugly thing before them. He saw the beauty of it. And so there's people that do that. And uh, it's, it's a great blessing to have that quality. I recently, somebody sent me a, a clip and they were a little confused by it. And it was a clip of one person asking another person uh, if they could write the Quran down. Um, because apparently there's things online now people trying to say that, oh, there's all these multiple Qurans and the Muslims claim they have one Quran and all these Qurans are out there and, and they're just fabricating this story and most Muslims are too dumb to realize this and their scholars are hiding these truths from them about how many Qurans. There are literally hundreds of Qurans and, and now they have YouTube channels where they're promoting this. And so people that aren't well-versed in our tradition they might get confused by finding this out, that there are different variants, what are called uh, qira'at or recitations. And then each qira'ah has uh, recensions, which are called riwayat. And then each riwayah has turuq, which are uh, the methods by which they went. So for instance, in the tradition that I studied in, which is uh, Warsh al-Nafi', Imam Warsh, who learned from Imam Nafi'. Uh, there's two, you have Nafi', who's the harf or the, the recitation, and then you have, um, you have Imam Warsh and Qalun, who are the two men that learned from him in the Masjid in Medina. And they, in turn, took uh, his qira'ah with their differences because he taught it in different ways. Uh, with their difference, and then they had students. So, for instance, Imam Warsh had the the two dominant ones are uh, Al Azraq and Asfahani. So these two are the Turuq of uh, Imam Warsh. And pe so people start thinking, oh, well, there's all these Qurans, and what what does that mean? And 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 this is a, I think, a really unfortunate um, problem that people don't understand this uh, deeper. Traditionally, it was not a problem because people were in areas where there was only one qira'ah. For instance, in Pakistan, everybody is going to recite with Hafsan Asim, whether they're Sunni or Shia, or uh, even Ahmadi, if they're following that, they still have the same Quran, even, even groups uh, that uh, traditionally uh, aren't part of the other groups. So one of the unique aspects of our religion this is really truly a unique aspect of Islam is that we don't have any difference of opinion about our book. Like the Jewish tradition differs about their books. The Christians certainly differ about their books. The Catholic Bible is not the same as the Protestant Bible. They differ. And then they have apocryphal texts. So people that are Gnostic uh, Christians, they, they believe there's all these other, like the Book of Enoch and the Gospel of Thomas and uh, Ilan Pajels wrote, wrote a whole book just on that Gnostic Gospel of Thomas. So uh, other traditions, they don't agree. The, the Buddhists don't agree on their texts. They have all these different texts um, in their different schools. And they have very, very different schools, like the Hinayana. I mean, they don't. some of them don't like those distinctions of the greater uh, cycle and the lesser cycle. But um, the, the, the Muslims... We have one book. It doesn't matter if you're Sunni, Salafi, Sufi, Shi'i, Ibadi, if you're Maliki, Hanafi, Shafi'i, uh, Hanbali, 
doesn't matter, Ismaili, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, all of the Muslims have the same book. And so to argue that they don't is, is insane. So, so what's up with the Qiraat? That's a question. Now, what troubled me in the clip that was shown to me was the person said, can you, if I gave you a, a bunch of blank papers, can you sit in a room and write the Quran? And it would be the same Quran. And in, in Mauritania, where, where I studied and with the Mauritanians, I mean, I, I was in Mauritania for a limited time, but I was studied with Mauritanians. I still am technically um, for the last 30 years of my life. In Mauritania, you are not a hafiz if you cannot write the entire mushaf from memory. And it's the same mushaf. It's called Rasm al-Uthmani, which is the Uthmanic script. It is completely agreed upon by all the scholars, by all the qiraat, by all the recensions, and it's based upon the masahif, these original codices that were written by Uthman, uh, arguably by his own hand, and then sent to the governors that they should be the source of all the Qurans because people began to differ about the Quran. Now people say, oh, well, you mean there were other Qurans out there? No. But there were there were variant readings out there, and there's there is a debate about what was meant when the Prophet said, "I was given seven huruf," and and there are debates about that. If you read Imam Suyuti and the Itqan, he actually mentions almost forty different opinions about what that means. But essentially, what it means is that the Prophet was given different ways to recite the Quran because he asked for ease for his people. The Arabs had many different dialects. Like we tend to think now uh, in the United States, for instance, we don't have that many dialectical variants like we used to because television has homogenized our language. But in the old days, even a hundred years ago, if you went into the Appalachia, and probably still you'll find these people, you would find very different um, uh, dialects of English. Uh, you still find it in England if you go to Northern England. But in any case, you have all these different types of accents. Here in California, we have what they call a California drawl, which, and I, embarrassingly, I, I sometimes, I can't even listen to myself. Like I never listen to any talks I give, partly because I can't stand that drawl. And so, people imitate it. Like there's an Egyptian man who does like a spot on imitation of me. And when I heard it, I was I was terrified because one of the things about people that imitate people is they always accentuate, they they exaggerate their idiosyncrasies, and then when people listen to them, they'll hear them more than they would normally. So these are these are just dialects. Now the Arabs had many many dialects. For instance, if you go to the eastern provinces in Arabia where I studied in, in the United Arab Emirates, um, and I was there for four years, they say like uh, riyal, they don't say rajul, they say rayal. So they, they pronounce the jim like a ya, with, with a kind of shedda, strong ya. Uh, or they'll say khanyar, like, a, like the khanjar will be khanyar. If you go to Egypt, they'll say khangar, uh, or they'll say, uh, you know, ba'ulak instead of aqululak, ba'ulak, um, uh, or haga, you know, an eyes haga. So, so they'll they'll pronounce the jim as a ga. If you go to Palestine, for instance, or Sham, they'll say things like ha'ia. So they turn the qaf into a hamza. 
these are their dialects. Now, the ancient Arabs had these dialects. So, for instance, in ancient Arabia, there's a, what's called a qira'a shadha, which is a rare reading, where they say, so in, instead of rabbuki tahtaki sariya. So when 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 Allah talks about this um, this stream that that ran under uh, Maryam to give her drink, the, the there was a uh, an unusual qira that's not permitted to read with, but still it's in the books because that was a dialect of the Arabs, and the same is true for. Uh, uh, for instance, the Quraysh, which is the language of our Prophet wasallam, the Quraysh did not use Hamza. So they said Mu'min instead of Mu'min. Banu Tamim and many of the other Arabs said Hamza. So they would pronounce it Qadaflah al-Mu'minun. Whereas the Prophet wasallam would have pronounced it naturally in his own tongue, Mu'minun, not Mu'minun. So these are two different Qira'a. Qalun says Mu'min and War says Mu'min. This meaning is the same. It's in the pronunciation. And so one of the beauties of our religion is that all of the Arabs were honored in that the Quran has all of the the linguistic diversity of the Arabian Peninsula. So you'll find all these Arab tribes will find some portion of their language in the Quran as a way of honoring them. Now, another aspect was in the early period because there were many words. uh, Arabic has more vocabulary than the vast majority of words of uh, languages. The, so the Arabs have many ways of saying very fine things. So for instance, in the Qurayshi dialect, because they were merchants, they had a word for dyed wool, which is ehn, ein ha, uh, and, and uh, noon. So ka'ehn al-manfush, like dyed carded wool, right? The the other Arab tribes didn't know that word. So Ibn Mas'ud, when he was teaching the Quran, he would say, Kasuf al-Manfush, because the meaning was being uh, conveyed. And some say that, that, that those qira'at actually were there in that early period, that the Prophet ﷺ would let them say it in their own dialect if there was a word that was, meant something else. But at a certain point, that changed because the, the Quran was becoming increasingly in the form that we would have it in its final form. And so this is actually a miracle of the Prophet. For people that can't see this, like the, there's some people, and unfortunately some of them are, are um, people that, there's many, many very decent Christians that I work with and have a, a great respect for our faith and for our, the piety they find in the Muslim community. They might differ with us about uh, the prophethood, but somebody like Dr. Anna Moreland, who I interviewed, has a great respect for the Islamic tradition and actually wrote a book arguing that maybe we should look at the prophet Muhammad in the prophetic tradition as, 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 a, as a voice of, of, uh, of the divine. And certainly within the Jewish community, uh, traditionally, the Jews believe that the prophet was a vehicle of providence. I mean, I've got Jewish th- books of theology written before uh, uh, the Palestinian-Israeli problem that clearly state that the, the, the great rabbis of the Middle Ages considered the prophet to be a vehicle of providence to teach the Noahidic laws, the seven laws 
that the non-Jew had to know because the Jews have to have these 613 Kishrat laws. But the Noahides, who are the, who are the Gentile peoples, they only have to follow seven to have salvation. So it was easier to be a non-Jew than a Jew. So they didn't encourage conversion. They just encouraged that you follow these seven Noahidic laws. And so... Uh, there are rabbis that actually recognize that Islam is preparing the world for the coming of the Messiah in their tradition. But unfortunately, within the Christian community, within the Hindu community, and within the uh, Jewish community, there are people that really hate Islam. In the same way that, unfortunately, we have people in the Muslim community that really hate Hinduism, really hate Judaism, and really hate Christianity. That's just a fact. Uh, And that's unfortunate because we should all really just see each other as fellow creatures here trying to work this place out. And and some people, you know, a lot of us are are completely, our experience of the world is so filtered by our sociological backgrounds, our economic backgrounds, our cultural backgrounds, the religions we grew up in. These really affect people and influence people. And so most of us are arguing, you know, I had a friend of mine who said that the problem with a lot of interfaith debate, this debating, because a lot of Muslims are really into this debating. They go and, ah, oh, we're going to show these Christians and wipe the floor with them. And then afterwards, they slap each other on the back. Ah, oh, you really showed them. That was amazing. You really, they, they, they didn't have anything to say. And that kind of, the problem with that attitude is, one, it's not prophetic. But two, they don't convert when you beat them in a debate. It's, because these are more like sports teams. So like when, if I'm a Raiders fan and we get to the Super Bowl and then we're going to play like the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm such a fan that I actually get a ticket. I fly to Pittsburgh from uh, Oakland and, and I'm there and I've got my, you know, gray. I don't even know if the Raiders are still in Oakland. They used to be. Anyway, so I've got my gray and black, my pirate t-shirt and I'm there and rooting on my team, and then they lose to the Pittsburgh. I, so I don't suddenly convert to become a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And, and you know, it, that's not the way life is. It's like, oh, we'll get them next year. You know, and so that's the way a lot of these religious debates are. It's like you're not going to convince them by defeating them. It'll just, they'll go back and study harder and try to find holes in your argument. And this is what they do. And so... In the end of the day, guidance is from God, and each one of us has to to really sincerely desire guidance from God, wherever that truth is. Wherever that truth is, we have to really want it and, and not be arrogant about it and be humbled by it. So unfortunately, there are certain, within the Christian community, there's people that just, they are hell-bent, no pun intended, hell-bent on trying to undermine Islam, to destroy Islam. Now, partly, I think that occurs because in, in, the, in, the, in the Christian tradition in the 19th century, there, there was, there was a, a movement largely from Germany. And these, these great German, they were called philologists, and uh, Nietzsche was, was in that tradition. And they, and they really, really deeply studied the uh, codices, uh, which a codex is one of the mm, the source books. So they look for the oldest books, like like Uthman. These what he wrote would have been codices, and so these were usually in what are called vellum. They were done with animal 
hides. So they were very strong, sturdy. They last a very long time. Or they were done with papyri. So this papyrus is like a, a reed uh, type of, um, it's not paper. Uh, paper was invented in the first century by a Chinese man named Tsai Lun, who everybody should know his name just because he's one of the greatest inventors in human history. But, um, and, and the Muslims learned it in the seventh century because these Chinese were captured in Central Asia and part of their ransom was to teach the Muslims how to make paper. So the Muslims actually uh, started making paper very early on, which really changed the trajectory of, uh, of human knowledge. But saying that aside, the, you had these codices. So in, the Germans started looking at them. And so they found basically there, there are these four um, foundational codices. And these four foundational ones, what they found is that they were, they were all different. So they found that, first of all, they, they weren't that early. So they couldn't find any really early, complete Gospels. They were actually much later, like in the, in the fourth century. So this is like you know, 300 years after Christ or more. But what they found is that they had differences. In fact, some of them said, like one of the researchers in this said that it's easier to find two consecutive verses in, in which these two manuscripts differ the one from the other, then two consecutive verses in which they entirely agree. So they found all these differences, these variants, and some of them were quite radical. Like, were there two uh, angels or one angel? Um, Things like that that were very different in the Gospels. Now, obviously, uh, Christian apologists, and they're well within their right to defend their religion, they have their explanations for a lot of these things. But for a lot of people, it became very troubling. So they found, for instance... In, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, there were 656 differences, Mark 567, Luke 791, and John 1022. So these, these were very, very troubling. And people like Bart Ehrman is a good example of somebody who was evangelical that went to Yale and studied and then became confused and ended up really kind of losing in some ways his faith, which is, uh, I think, quite tragic. Um, so... These, these, so because they saw, oh, they don't have, they don't have the original gospel, which was probably in Aramaic. It might have been in Koine Greek, but it was most likely in Aramaic, which was the language of Christ. And we know that Ilo, Ilo, Lima, Lima, Sabachthani, which is the only Aramaic in the entire gospel. And we can, an Arab can understand that because it's Lima, Lima, uh, Ilo. Allah, Allah, ilahi, ilahi, lima, lima, sabachtani, no, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? So the Aramaic is very close to Arabic because they're both Semitic languages with the same root system. And then Abba also was Aramaic for father, uh, which was a a term of endearment for God. Um, So in any case, the, uh, they've set their sights on Islam and they've been really working at this for quite some time. The odd thing about it is, is that these things have not changed for centuries. The same things that St. John of Damascus said, uh, and he, he was living at the time of Muawiyah, the same things that he said, he has a little four-page uh, pamphlet against Islam. All the same tropes that are atta- uh, used today are found in that. And But the Quran, actually, that was something that you you will find attacks on the Qur'an. In fact, Imam, uh, Imam al-Qurtabi, the great uh, scholar of Andalusia who wrote a magisterial 
commentary on the Quran, actually in his introduction to that multi-volume uh, tafsir, he actually has a section on refuting those who claim that the Uthmanic script uh, has uh, deficiencies and others. So he actually completely refutes that. So here's what I would say. One, the variance, there is only one Uthmanic script. Because the diacritical marks were not in there, um, the vowelings and, and like the, the, uh, the little dots that you have, those diacritical marks, like you have ta, uh, in, in wars, they, generally the rocks have put a dot under for the fa and one dot over for the qa. In the Eastern script, they put two dots over for the qa and one dot over for the fa. Um, I prefer the Moroccan because it's easier not to make a mistake on those because sometimes those two dots merge and, and they look like um, a fa. In any case, those were added uh, much later. Those were added by, um, some say it was Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, um, because people were having a difficult time uh, reading the Mus'hafs and were making mistakes. Now, here's what you have to understand, and this is absolutely essential to understanding this issue. The Qur'an is not a written book. The Qur'an is a recital. It is a recitation. It is an oral book. The Prophet ﷺ in a hadith sahih, which Imam Muslim relates, the Prophet ﷺ said that God said to him, I am going to reveal to you a book that is not erased with water. Which, because in, in the old days, they erased ink with water. They still do it in Mauritania when they erase the loah that they learned the Quran. He said, I am revealing to you a book that is not erased with water. The mushaf was never used in the early period to learn the Quran from. In fact, there is a qaida that is taught still to this day in Mauritania. لا تأخذ علمك من صحفي ولا تأخذ القرآن من مصحفي Don't take your knowledge from somebody who learned his from books and don't take the Quran from a mushaf. You take the Quran orally from a master of tajweed. This is the oral tradition. It is a mutawatir tradition. The only thing that they differ is what's called hayatu uh, al-ada. So in the ada, the ada in other words, the basic recitation of the Qur'an is agreed upon. The same text, we absolutely agree on the text. There is only one text of the Qur'an. It is called the Rasm al-Uthmani. And like I said, in West Africa, you are not a hafiz if you cannot sit in a room and reproduce the Qur'an from beginning to end. And I know many, many people. I, I literally know countless number of Mauritanians that can do this. I know Mauritanians right now that I could put them in a room with uh, hundreds of pieces of paper, and they will, will come with the seven recensions without any mistakes. And I know this for a fact. So to answer that question, the person who was asking, if we put you in a room, can you write the same Quran? It, it's an unambiguous yes. Of course we can. It is a preserved book. It is the only truly preserved book in our estimation in the world. It's the only book that has no mistakes. And I'll tell you something. Here's the, here's the greatest miracle. I have an Arabic library. It's, it's, it's a large library. I mean, I've been collecting Arabic books for 40 years. So I have several thousand Arabic books. They're all filled with mistakes. Because Arab publishing, unfortunately, is just really poorly done. And so they're filled with mistakes. How is it that 
people that who have lost this kind of itqan in their publishing, how is it that they still produce Qurans without mistakes? How is that even possible? The books of hadith are filled with mistakes. I have so many hadith books that have wrong tashkil. They, they have the fatha where there should be a dhamma. They have a kasra. The Quran is always checked and then they burn them if they're printed with mistakes. They're always checked by huffah. And so you will not, you can't buy a Quran in the Muslim world that has mistakes in it. That is a miracle. I mean, if you, if you can't see the miracle of that, you are just blind. And so these people that claim, oh, the Muslims have all these different Quran. No, we have different ways of reciting the same book. And I'll give you an example. Like I said, I learned Warsh uh, on, on Nafi' with the Tariq of Azraq, Al-Azraq. Um, I love, there's a Sudanese reciter, uh, Sheikh Noor who recites beautifully. Unfortunately, he died uh, just as he was becoming well-known, which is, subhanAllah, I felt like Allah just took him before he became uh, famous because there's such a tribulation in that. But anyway, he's a beautiful man. Many of you have probably heard him recite the Quran. So he recites this beautiful uh, Quran. And many times... Uh, I have literally put on his mulk or yasin, and I recite along with him. Well, I recite warsh. He recites uh, duri from Ibn Amr. It's a different recension, but I don't have any problem following him. The differences are very slight. So for instance, if you read warsh, we, we have what's called taqlil, or, or some, some people call imala. They're actually different things. But yeah, yeah like we say, waduhe. So there, if you look at that recitation, it's not it's between a fatha and a kasra. There's one place in Warsh where it's actually a kasra, which is in Tahi, like Tahi. That's the only place in the whole. But there are other recensions that have where you, you take the fatha and it moves to a kasa. It doesn't change the meaning. You can still hear and then instead of saying so here you have that's easier for people like the Quraysh who didn't say the Hamza. So they say they don't say and then they have because if the kasra precedes the ra generally, not always, but when the ra is doubled then it's not. But Generally, it, it, it's mufakhama in hafs. So they say, and they have it mufakham. It's, it's emphatic. Ra. In warsh, you say, so it's got a tarqiq. It's called tarqiq. These are all differences. It doesn't change the meaning. Now, where does it change the meaning? Well, that's very interesting. So for instance, I'll give you a few examples. And then we'll just leave it at that. But trust me, do not believe these people. These people are blind. They're envious of us. They're envious of the fact that they are all fighting over their books. They don't even know the original language their books were revealed in. You know, we have, we are the only religion on this planet that you can, if you go to Mecca or Medina, these are the two holiest places for us, and then the third being in uh, Jerusalem and Quds. If you go to these places, you will pray next to Ibati. You will pray next to Salafi. You will pray next to Sufi. You'll pray next to a Shia Ja'fari. You'll pray next to an Ismaili. You'll pray next to maybe even an Ahmadi. You'll pray next to all these different groups out there. 
they're all facing the same qibla. They're all praying three rakats for maghrib. There's not some Shia guy saying, no, 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 there's five rakats for, for maghrib. They're all praying three rakats for maghrib. They're praying four for isha. They're praying two for fajr. They're praying four for dhuhr. And they're praying four for asr. If they do sunnah, they do what they do before. Where do you find that? Okay, yeah, the, he moves his finger. This one puts his hands to his side. This one holds them above his chest. This one holds him below his chest. Really? Is this so catastrophic that, that, I mean, that's part of the beauty of some people have long nose, some people have short nose, some people have pug nose, some people have flat nose, some people have thin lips, some people have full lips, some people are fat, some people are skinny, some people are tall, some people are short, some people are ugly, some people are beautiful, some people are brown, some people are black, some people are yellow, some people will turn purple in being humiliated. This is just the human. Allah has made us all these amazing. But I was talking to these Chinese Muslims the other day, on, and, and we were t- they, that one man asked me, why is there so much difference in the world? And I said, because some people, when they look at you from Europe or from America like me, instead of seeing a human being with two eyes, a nose, 32 teeth like me, and hair, and, and two arms and two legs, a chest. They see something that appears to completely different. So they're veiled from that humanity by just seeing otherness instead of seeing brotherness. And that's the beauty of our religion is when you go to Mecca, everybody's there. They're all there, the whole family, everybody. And you have to accept all of them because God just said, <laughs> this is my creation. Welcome to the human family. And you're all begging for my mercy. Why don't you show mercy to others? Why don't you show mercy to one another? You want my mercy and you're not willing to show mercy to each other? You know, there's a verse about the people of hell. It says, What's wrong with you? You're not helping one another. That's hell where you're not helping one another. So we should be trying to help each other. And so I just wanted to... Just point that out, that don't be fooled by people that say, oh, there's all these different ways of reciting Quran. Oh, uh, I didn't want to finish with this. That in terms of meaning, there are some nuanced differences that are very, very interesting in the Quran. I'll give you just a couple of examples. In Al-Fatiha, in my recension, the one I learned, not mine, but the one I learned, we say, Midiki Yomiddin, which is king. Milik. In Hafs, you say Maliki Yomiddin. So, what is the difference between Malik and Milik? And why would you have two? Like, what's the benefit of having two? Well, every Milik is not a Malik. So, for instance, a king is a sovereign, but it doesn't mean he owns everything in his kingdom. The people have private property, they have. So, he's, he's sovereign. But he's not Malik of everything in his dominion. He's the ruler over it, but he doesn't possess it. So when you say Malik and Melik, what you're saying is not only is he the sovereign, he owns everything. It's not just his dominion. It's his possession. And so he has absolute right in it. So Because a king has no right to come and take your house 
from you. That would be an oppressive king. But Amalek has every right to evict you. And so when it has Melek and Malik, it's giving you the full picture of the reality of God's position on the day of judgment. Not only is he the sovereign of that day, but he owns that day. It's his. So that's one example. Another one would be like, for instance, in 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 So there's a qira'a that says tabayyanu, like warsh and hafs. But then there's a qira'a that says tathabatu. Tathabatu and tabayyanu, if you look at the Rasm al-Uthmani, they're written exactly the same. So the, the mushaf is the same. It's not different. But the qira'a is different. So what is, what's the difference between tathabatu and tabayyanu? Tabayyanu means if somebody comes with news. Tabayyanu means make sure you understand it. So you, because we, we all make mistakes. When, when somebody says something, we have what are called double entendres. We have things like uh, ambiguous statements. We have things that could be taken uh, multiple ways. So the Prophet himself said things that could be interpreted more than one way, which is why we have four medhebs in the Sunni tradition. And the Shia have uh, a, a few different medhebs also. So what does tathabatu mean then? Tathabatu means make sure that it was actually said, what's being conveyed to you. So one, understand it. And two, make sure that it's not fake news. So both of those are in the same word. That is a miracle. To me, that's a miracle. Another one, uh, if you look at the, you know, Tarqa Adamu min rabbihi karimat, karimatin. So there the karimatin is what's called mafurun bihi. It's uh, what Adam received. So he's Adamu. So that dhamma is, means he's what's called fa'il. So he's the actual subject of the sentence. Talaqqa means he received words from his Lord. So the words he received are the object of the sentence. And then from his Lord is a prepositional phrase. There's another qira'ah. Ibn Kathir reads that. Talaqqa adama min rabbihi kalimatun. So there, the subject is the words. And Adam is the object. So it's the words that received Adam. And this is an incredible metaphysical insight about the nature of meaning. Because when meaning comes into your mind, on the one hand, there's a, it's, you know, I had a teacher uh, who once said that, that meaning is, is like a catcher and a pitcher. There's an active and a passive role. Like when you read, you're not just an active you're not just the catcher you have to be the pitcher in other words you have to ask questions of the text so there's a there's an active and a passive relationship between meaning you can't simply be a passive receptacle you also have to be an active participant in the meaning both of those meanings are conveyed in that verse which is really stunning so if you look at the word for meaning in arabic which is ma'na and ma'ani Ma'na is a, it's called a mastar. So it's a, it's, it comes from a word, aniya ya'na or ana ya'nu. So the root meaning is what concerns you, what interests you, but also what troubles you, what preoccupies you. Also, ana yu'ani, what causes you difficulty, what you're struggling with. So the nature of meaning is that you struggle with it. It's, it's a give and take, it's a pull and push 
relationship. And that's perfectly embedded in that meaning. And I could give many, many examples of this in these qira'at. But my point is, here's, and here's the last thing I'll just end with, you know, is that the, uh, the narrative that we tell, and you can even look in the, uh, in the Encyclopedia of Islam. I think I have it somewhere here, yeah. In the Encyclopedia of Islam, I mean, I'll just read you one little passage. And, and these people, you know, they don't always have nice things to say about Islam or Muslims or anything. I mean, they really are uh, a lot of more academics that, um, you know, that just try to uh, undermine Islam and, and the, here. So this is, this is in their chapter, in their essay on the Quran. So this is by the highest level of academia in the Western tradition dealing with Islam. This book is like, it's, it's, it's a Bible in Orientalism. Here's what they say. The unanimity with which an official text is attributed to Uthman in the face of a lack of convincing evidence to the contrary leads most Western scholars to accept one central point of this story, that the Quran we have today, at least in terms of the number and arrangement of the surahs and the basic structure of the consonantal text, goes back to the time of Uthman, under whose authority the official text was produced. So that's an admit. They have to admit it. it's horrible because they try to, oh, this is fictitious. You know, one of the things that I find that's almost hilarious in reading these characters is that any hadith that puts like Islam in any kind of bad light, oh, that's clearly true. But any hadith that, that really puts Islam in a good light, oh, this is clearly fabricated story. It's just amazing to see. And confirmation bias is one of the, sicknesses of human beings you know we just we look for what's going to confirm our our already existing bias so there was something that was said also in in which troubled me uh, actually deeply um, and it was the idea that one of the sahaba who was actually given the quran had doubts about the quran uh, which was not first of all not possible uh, ubayy ibn kaab is one of one of the most exalted of the sahaba He's the four that the Prophet ﷺ said, take the Qur'an from four. And these were the four that were given the last, the, the last recension of the Qur'an at the end of the Prophet ﷺ's life. He, he made sure that they knew because when Jibreel, actually when the last verse was revealed, he said, put it between this ayah and this ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah. So all of the places of the Qur'an are exactly where Jibril told them. And people could say, oh, well, but in the books they say there's all this difference of opinion, and some people say Sahaba put this together in Uthman. First of all, I'm sorry. How is it possible that we have the same Mus'haf in the entire Muslim world? How is it possible that when we look at the oldest codices, uh, even though we don't have the, the entire Quran, but when we look at them, they all have the same uh, uh, Uthmanic script? How is it possible that there was no bloodshed? How is it possible that there's no sects that have some weird Qur'an that differs from the other Qur'ans? How is it possible we don't hear any fighting that went over this situation? Uh, and then the people that actually argued, like Ibn Muhaysan, who was in Mecca, they say that he actually thought that you could read the Qur'an in any way you like as long as it was grammatically correct in the Uthmani script. And it said that his opinion was rejected by the people of Mecca, and that's why they turned to the the, uh, to the recension of Ibn Kathir because he took it by talaqi, the way it was recited from his teachers. So the senad, the chain of transmitters, is what protects this book. 
And that's why it is taken orally. It's never taken from a mushaf. Uh, if you learn the Quran from a mushaf, you will make mistakes. I guarantee you, even though it's much easier today than it would have been back then, because now we have diacritical marks, we have the vowelings, we even have a mushaf that gives you where the mudud are and thing. Traditionally, they would have had to known the ahkam of the mudud. And the Prophet read with mud. Muawiyah, they asked him, how was the Prophet's mudud? And he said, ah, ah, ah. He gave three uh, mud, which means there were six harakat, which is warsh. And that's proof that uh, Imam Malik said warsh is sunnah, that, that uh, nafi'is qira'ah was sunnah. He considered a sunnah over the other seven because it was the qira'ah of the Prophet, which is six harakat. So he did the six alifat or six harakat or three alifat, depending on which uh, version you go by. So Ubay ibn Ka'ab, there is a hadith, and it's a sahih hadith. No, uh, well, nobody's going to deny it. It's in Al-Bukhari and Fadail al-Quran. And it's, it's actually, um, it's in, um, uh, in Sahih Muslim, in uh, Sarat al-Musafirin, and also um, in the chapter on Bayan an al-Quran ala sabati ahruf. So he mentions that Omar uh, radiallahu uh, uh, he says that Imam Muslim uh, relates uh, from Ubay ibn Ka'ab, uh, obviously in the chain, but Ubay ibn Ka'ab is the Sahabi. And he says that he was in the mosque. So he came in and entered and he began to pray. And then he recited a recitation that Ubay says, I did not know it or I rejected it. Ankartuha. So I, he, he considered it was wrong. And then another man came in. And then he recited one different from the, the first man. So when we finished our prayers, we all went together to the Prophet. This man, he read a recitation that I didn't know and I rejected. And then the second man came and recited another one that was different from his. So the Prophet commanded them to read and they both recited. The Prophet in other words said like a good job, you did a good job. So in other words, he uh, he uh, accepted their qira'ah. Both of them. So then it said, it's, it's a beautiful expression. There's actually a couple different uh, narrations of this. But in this one, it says, Sakata. There, there fell into me. Like saqatam yasqutu means to, to descend or fall. So this, this something descended into my nafs. Mina takdib. And then he's, he didn't say takdib. He said mina takdib. That min is a partitive min. So he's saying from like a denial of this, like negating it or denying it, you kithibuhu saying that it's not true. That came in something of that. But not like it was in jahiliyyah. In other words, not like a kafir would do that. 
right? In other words, he, so to say that he had doubt is to misinterpret this. Imam Nawawi says in his commentary on Sahih Muslim, he says that this means it was a thought, lam ya'taqidhu, that he did not believe. He didn't believe it. But it was a thought that comes into his heart. Now, all of us have thoughts. We have thoughts. In fact, the Sahaba went, some of the Sahaba went to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, we have such thoughts. They're so horrible that, that we, we wouldn't tell anybody because we would be afraid, to, like that they wouldn't think that we were. He said, Atajiduna Tarika? Do you find that? Like you find that in your hearts? And he said, Yes. And he said, Sarihul Iman. That's pure faith. In other words, the fact that you, you find those thoughts foul and you hate those thoughts, that's from your faith. And this is why Sidi Ahmed Zarruq says, What your heart, what shaitan whispers into your heart and your heart negates it, that's iman. So Ubay was saying that shaitan put something into his heart and he negated it. That's why he said it wasn't from the time of Jahiliyyah. Like it wasn't, I wasn't think going back to Jahiliyyah. And then the Prophet ﷺ, when he saw this, and the Prophet ﷺ, don't forget, the Prophet ﷺ is somebody who has, he has a perception. So he could see what was happening when he saw it. In other words, he saw that this man was essentially having like, you know, that shaitan had basically put something into his heart that put his heart into a type of spiritual fibrillation. Like he was, he was in a, for just a moment, like you can go into what's called VTAC and then you can get out of it. So it was like a moment of spiritual fibrillation. And so the Prophet ﷺ, when he saw that, he said that, Daraba Sadri. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Ma, when he said, that he hit me in my chest. So the Prophet was defibrillating spiritually, like he was literally like bringing this man back to life. Just for that moment, that temporary moment that had come to him, he struck him and he, and he said, now listen to this, I began to sweat profusely. It was if I was looking directly at God in complete awe. SubhanAllah. Could you imagine that? What the Prophet did to that man. He had spiritual enlightenment in that moment. This is Ubayy ibn Kaab. So who is that man? That's not a man who doubts the Quran. And, and, and that's why Imam Nawawi said that he felt so much shame, which is why he began to sweat profusely. But this is important because when then the Prophet explained to him, he said, I was given this Quran in all these different ways of reciting it. And he said, initially I was given it one way. And I said, please make it easy for my ummah. Now, this is one of the miracles of the recensions and the variants is that how did the Prophet all of these mutawatir recensions recited in all these different dialects of the Arabs and we still have them today? This should, linguists should be studying this just to understand all the ways that the Arabs spoke their language, that it retained Rom and Ishmam, Azirat al Mustaqim, and it, that retains the Ishmam of the Sa'd, which was a rare Arabic dialect. But it's there, so we know the Arabs pronounce the Sa'd as a, as a Zay. 
So the, these, these are wondrous things about the religion that should be celebrated. Now, what's really interesting, and here's what, and this is why I, I, I just love these ulama, were just so amazing. So uh, this is what uh, Imam al-Qurtubi says about this. He says that he went into a state of shock, dahsha, a'taratu dahsha. That's like where the Prophet cardioverted him, like he restored his heart back into a, the, the, the normal um, sinus rhythm, spiritually speaking, sinus rhythm. And so then he said, when he saw that asabatu nazgatun min shaytan alayhi halahu, in order to create this tashweesh, to try to confuse him, and to try to soil his time, like just make him feel bad. He made it appear something that's not momentous. He made it appear to be some big thing. And he said, then Imam Qurtubi says, Really? Could, could a difference of just the ways the Arabs recite the Qur'an be impossible and something that would warrant denial? And he said, And yet Ubay didn't have any problem with abrogation, which really is a more uh, difficult thing. So he's saying, like, it's not that big of a deal. And this is the way they looked at it. And that's why we've never shamed. We are proud that we have 10 mutawata recensions. And, 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 and they're all from the same mushaf. And they're a miracle of this book. And there are people all over the world right now that memorize the Shatabiyah, which is one of the most extraordinary texts ever written in human history. I mean, the the uh, the al-Amani, it's just it's the most incredible book. Like he literally took all of the recensions and gave each one a code. And if you memorize this text, then you'll know all of the recensions. And I know, like I said, many, many people, Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayyat, Murabta Ahmed Fal, taught the, the Shatibiyah. He memorized it by rote. He could recite all seven qiraats. This is something, it's, it's amazing in our tradition. It's just amazing. And it's preserved. And you tell me which book is preserved like our book is preserved. We know every dot in the book. We know every alif. We know every ba. We know every jim. We know every single way that possibly to pronounce it acceptably. We even know the unacceptable ways that some of the Arabs pronounced it, like I mentioned earlier. So don't be fooled by these people. They're just trying to, they're trying to create confusion. Uh, like, like one of the minions of the devil said, confusing you is the nature of my game. This is what Iblis loves to do. And don't, don't buy into it. Just say, I'm a to be that. Now, finally, I know I've been going on a long time, but this is an important uh, issue. Finally, it's very important to remember that there's the, the, the host and the guest. Thoughts are often guests. They come into your mind and, and you just, it's like people that have obsessive compulsive thoughts. That's not you. It's, it's a guest and that's troubling you. Don't mistake the guest for the host and know that it's your house. It's your home. And so whatever bad thoughts come to your heart, they're, they're, they're just guests. They're, they're uninvited guests that have come into your house, uh, your, your soul. And, and just know that Allah doesn't take you to account for them. And one of the 
they say one of the beginning of the maqam of wilaya is to just say astaghfirullah. If you have a bad thought, you just say astaghfirullah and just let it go. And that's why uh, Sidi Ahmad Zarruq says that don't fight your thoughts because it just gives shaitan uh, more strength. Just let it go. Don't, don't pay any attention to it. He just wants to, to uh, create confusion. So the Quran is one. Our deen is one. Our qibla is one. We can differ on the ways to get to Mecca. Some people face southeast in America. Some people face northeast. It's still one qibla. It's just an ishtihad. The Quran is one. There's different ways to read it. That's all it is. It's one book. And there's no difference in meaning. And the very few uh, situations where there are slight differences, they're for beautiful nuances. Like, banin and banin, mahu ala ghaybi banin, mahu ala ghaybi banin. I mean, that, that's an amazing difference. One is he's not withholding what he knows of the unseen from you, and also that he's not... Um, uh, speaking from his own opinions about the unseen. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of you. Jazakum Allah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.